Let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative holy word. Hear God's word to you this morning. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Thus ends the reading of God's holy law. May he bless it to our lives this morning. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to those state parks or the preserves, um, you may have come across those maps. You know, they'll have the map in the middle of the woods sometimes to see this, this strange map. And then as you look at the map, you'll see an arrow, and then there'll be a dot, and then the caption will be what? You are here. <laughs> now, for some of us who can be at times directionally challenged, ask my wife, it can be a sight for sore eyes when you look at that map. Uh, especially if up to that point you kind of been wandering around in circles and it's getting, you know, it's getting dark and you kind of want to get out of there and it's time to go home. Now look, here's the thing I want you to see. You wouldn't get angry with the map because it doesn't have the ability to drive you home, right? You wouldn't say, darn map, I hate this thing because it can't get me home. You wouldn't say that. Because you know very well that's not what the map was designed to do. Instead, you'd be so thankful, even to the Lord, that it lets you know that you're on the right or the wrong path home so that you can make the necessary adjustments and get back on the road that leads home. Well, that's what we have in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a road map telling us where we are in relation to the road that leads home. Now, this is very important as we get into this. It doesn't tell us how to get on the road, and it doesn't tell us how to stay on the road, the power that is the ability, where to get that ability to stay on the road. But it does help us get a very clear picture of what walking faithfully on that road looks like. In other words, there's no reason why anybody here this morning would not know where, which road they're on before they leave this place. Not if you've looked at this psalm. It'll be a wake-up call or a confirmation. So as we look at Psalm 1, we'll find whether or not we wander off the beaten path or whether we are indeed walking on the straight and narrow road that Jesus says leads to life. Now, what do we do if we do look at it, I'm going to tell you right from the get-go, I'm not going to hold you in suspense till the end of the message. As believers, because I would think most of us here come to church because we're already believers, I hope. What do we do when we find out we're not on course? We know what to do. 
We go to the one who has redeemed our souls with his precious blood. And we cry out like the psalmist, by the way, who cries out this in Psalm 119, 176. Probably my favorite verse in all the psalms because it so reflects me. He says this, King David. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. We know that's where we go. I'll say it again, because this is where we go to get the power to get on the road and to walk through it. I'm going to read it again. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Remember we heard it earlier in the song? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now take my heart, O oh Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So we don't go to this psalm for the ability to walk on the road. We go to this psalm to see where the, what the good road is. You got that? All right, that's good. It's important. We've got to come to it the right way. So this is what we're going to see this morning. The righteous and the wicked. Man, it's very stark contrast in the psalms, by the way. And all the word of God. The righteous and the wicked walk on two radically different paths, and they end up in two radically different destinations. So the first thing we're going to look at is the two paths, and then we'll take a look at the two destinations. Makes sense, right? So let's take a look at the two paths. In Psalm 1, we have a clear picture of two types of people. The righteous, and by the way, the righteous are what here in this text? Blessed. Uh, it, it's kind of a weak translation, but it's the best we can come up, come up with in English. Happy is the man. Happy is the person. Blessed is the person. And then we have the other people in contrast to the blessed person, to the righteous person, and that's the wicked. We have a picture also of those who will endure, who will bear fruit, and who will last even through the judgment. And then we have a picture of those who will be blown away by the wind. And as the text says, um, they will end up in destruction. They will perish, is the text. Now, here's the, here's the reason why this psalm actually has been blessing me as I've been studying it. Because it gives us something that our culture, so many people in our culture, so badly lack. And that is, it gives us a clear picture. Now listen, I know this sounds silly, but it gives us a clear picture of what is right and what is wrong. We've completely lost that in our society. We, like, like the prophet Isaiah says, we call good evil, we call evil good. It's not a cliche, it's reality. We get a clear picture here of what a righteous person does and doesn't do, by the way. That sets their manner of life apart from the wicked's manner of life. Now why? Why is, and the scary thing, and this is the thing that really does break my heart, and even when I see it in my own self, and that's this. Why are we so confused about the truth of what's good, what's holy, and what's wrong, and immoral? It's because we have not only failed to delight in God's law. Listen, this is important. We've not only failed to delight in God's law, but we have bought the world's lie that the law of God is outdated, oppressive, and even damaging to human welfare and fulfillment. Amen. We have 
public Christian leaders who were Christian leaders who have now fallen away, publicly apologizing to people because he called sin what sin is. That's confusion. That's we got to pray for that soul. I'm sorry I agreed with the word of God. That's messed up. Coming from the church. What we need to see here, too, is the, the psalmist uses the word for law, Torah, which can refer to the first five books of Moses as a totality, but basically the word means God's instruction. So really, especially for the psalmist, it's the whole Old Testament scripture. It's not just the law of Moses. It's all of God's authoritative instruction. We live after the cross, so we're blessed. We have the entire word of God, Old and New Testaments, but we don't throw out the old. You know, these people that only hand out the New Testament, Hello? The Bible's made up of Old and New Testaments. And you know what it says? All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuking, for training in righteousness. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, but it still is a guide. It still shows us the right way. God didn't change his mind. We talked about this last week. I won't get too deep into it. But if God hated adultery in the Old Testament, he hates adultery in the New Testament. He hates stealing in the Old Testament. He hates stealing in the New Testament. I'll stop there. What's interesting in this text, and this really pokes modern man in the eye, the psalmist begins by pointing out three negative things that are true of the man who's blessed. Three things that he doesn't do. Now, I've got to get out of my, little, my soapbox now. I am so sick of hearing this one statement, and I hear it from, you know, the the. the Pastor celebrities very often. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Christians are always too known for what they're against. We need to be known for what we stand for. And then you know what I hear? All this applause. And all I got to say is poppycock. That's a load of lies. It's garbage. It's nonsense. And it has no backing from the Old Testament or New Testament scriptures. What we don't do, listen carefully to this, what we don't do sets us apart from a wicked and perishing world just as much as what we do do. So you, and when it says do this, it always sets it off clearly against don't do this, this but not this. Right? That's how the Bible teaches us so we're real clear. You know, with our kids sometimes, so does that mean then, you ever hear your kids, does that mean I can't, yes, that's what it means, you have to spell it out for them. So let me give you one New Testament example, just, just so you see this. 1 Peter 4, 3 to 5, the Apostle Peter tells us this. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They, who's they? The world. Think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. What's going to set you apart? What's going to make the world stand up and notice and say, hey, they're different? It's because you say no to some things and yes to Jesus. Notice in Psalm, it's the same, Psalm 1. What sets the blessed man apart from the wicked? He doesn't do three things. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, and he doesn't sit in a certain way and with certain types of people. I'll read it for you. 
Blessed is the man who does not walk with who? In the counsel of the wicked. Who does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. That's the happy man. Now listen, this, I, I took some time to really figure out what this is referring to, so I, I think we need to hear this. To walk in the counsel of the wicked, listen to this, is to have the wicked as your intimate companions and to receive their counsel, their guidance, and direction from them for your life. Now listen, it's to constantly receive the bombardment, and that's what it is, of worldly wisdom, ungodly viewpoints, and skewed ideas about what constitutes the good life. Now I got to tell you, believers in our world today don't have it real easy on this point. Think about it. We're constantly bombarded with worldly counsel from where? Social media? Right? From television? From news feeds? Look, it wasn't our current president. He's not the one that invented fake news or started talking. There's always been fake news. And it doesn't come from one political party. It comes from all sinners. We have our little skewed viewpoint. And then the word has the real viewpoint, doesn't it? Let's go back to the garden. The day you eat of it, you'll die. What's the fake news? You won't die. <laughs> Total opposite. Interesting. The problem is the spirit of the age that is hostile to God, we call that the world, is relentless in its attempt to squeeze us into its mold. Paul would have never said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold if it wasn't a very real problem, <clears throat> brothers and sisters. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was an old Scottish preacher, fiery guy, great preacher. He says this, and man, I got to tell you, it convicted me. He says, we seem to be trying to tell people that their joining a church will not make them so very different after all. We are no longer Puritans, we say. We believe that they overdid things and made Christianity too difficult for people. I don't know, it kind of sounds like Jesus. He would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross. Daily, by the way. And follow me. The way of the blessed man, later on called the righteous man, is a way of life, is, is the way of living life in a way that's very different than the perishing world around them. Now listen, it's a life of saying no to walking in the counsel of the wicked, saying no to standing with sinners, saying no to sitting in the seat of the mocker. Now I was just talking to Christian on the way here, we were driving together, and we were having good fellowship in the car, and we both said it almost at the same time. Nothing's more heartbreaking than seeing professed believers of Jesus fall into these three progressive ways of life. Now, I know in verse 1 we have a clear example of parallelism. In other words, you have three lines saying the same thing. Did you notice that? You don't walk, you don't stand, you know, and, and so it's the same, it's a way of life. And then the three, same group of people, the wicked, the scoffers. However, I agree with Charles Spurgeon, who also discerns a progression from walking in the counsel of the wicked, then actually standing with them, in other words, doing what they do, and then 
progressing to a point where you just gain the same outright hostility and mockery of God's people and God's truth that they have. See the progression? It's a dangerous progression. So I'm going to quote from Spurgeon. He's a lot more eloquent than me. He says, when men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. And all God's people said, amen. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forget God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. But after that, they become habituated to evil, and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if left alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others. And thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. They have taken their degree in vice, and as true doctors of damnation, they are installed. See, listen, brothers and sisters, that's how it starts. We like to listen to those who we view as cool or hip. Movie stars, think about it. Who's our heroes? Movie stars, pop stars, sports figures. They get up at their award ceremony and they summon everybody. Oh, you hear what so-and-so said? Big, stinking, rotten deal is what we should say. Who makes them an authority on spirituality and ethics and what's right and wrong? God's people know what our authority is. We're going to see it in the next verse in a moment. But we're so desperate to be liked, to blend in, to be accepted, to be in the in crowd, and even to be praised. Come on, we all have that. I don't like to be not liked. I don't like to be rejected. Hey, I was really cool today. I was rejected. I got to say this. The world has hijacked the word love. It's hijacked it. Because this is what the world says. Oh, when you love somebody, you won't call them out. You won't judge them and say a particular behavior is sinful. That's not loving. No, you'll, you'll accept them and you'll rejoice, them, rejoice with them even in their lifestyle that they've chosen, even though the, the, the Bible says it's wrong. Now listen, I'm going to give you a verse for this. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. You know what love does? It does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in what? The truth. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse to be like those dopes who protest funerals, saying awful things on their signs about God hates this and God hates No, that, of course, is wrong. But it does mean we cannot condone what God hates and what will lead our, our friends into destruction if they keep on that path. So notice positively, finally we get to the positive thing in verse 2. What does what the righteous man, the blessed man or woman do? Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. So what does the blessed person, the righteous person delight in? It's in the law of the Lord. And we meditate on it constantly. Now, of course we do. Why? Because it's there we hear the voice of our God and our Savior. It's there that we get sanity. Can I get an amen? It's there that we get that clear line of what we should be aiming for 
to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God tells us what the true way of life is, what the blessed way is to live. Dick Lucas puts it this way, and, and it's so powerful. One line, he says this. The two ways are different in this sense. That is the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. The one is governed by the world, and the other, other is governed by the word. Do you notice that? One's governed by the world. The other one's governed by the word. And I need to say this. Who delights in the law of the Lord? The rebel doesn't. The unregenerate doesn't. I know before I was saved, I didn't want to have anything to do with the law of the Lord. Please. Puts a cramp in my style. No. Those who delight in the word of the Lord are those who are regenerate. Those who have been made alive in Christ by his grace. Those are the ones who delight themselves in God's instructions. So the question that I came to when I looked at this, and it was very deeply convicting, do I love the law of the Lord? Not only do I love it, do I delight in it? Come on, that's a huge word, delight, right? Now here's the cool thing. This is encouraging to me. King David did. That's right. This is what King David said, Psalm 119.24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Isn't that cool? I'm not going to sit with the wicked for counsel, but I am going to look at the statutes, the principles of God's word. They're my counselors. That's who I'm going to hang out with. You know who else rejoiced and delighted in God's law? You might be shocked at this one. The Apostle Paul. Yeah. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7.22, even though he acknowledged he couldn't keep it perfectly, not unto salvation, he says this, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Isn't that cool? He knows it's good. He knows it's right. He delights in it. But both David and Paul knew that not only from their own study and meditation on God's word, but by painful experience, they couldn't keep God's law perfectly. And that salvation from the penalty and the power of sin had to be found somewhere else. It's not found in the law. It's found in the person that the law points to. Jesus, Messiah. The only man who ultimately is the man pictured in Psalm 1, by the way, because Jesus did this perfectly. Right? So David would sing, and he did sing because it's a psalm, guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Our hope's not in the law. Our hope is in God, who saves by his grace. Paul even said it himself, Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law, but both men, listen, both men delighted in the law of God in its proper place. Not as a way to attain to righteousness, eternal life, nor as a way to keep someone saved, but as an expression of the good, holy, and pleasing will of God who loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son because we couldn't walk in it perfectly. Psalm 112.1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Psalm 119.24, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Here's the, here's the thing, and I, I was 
hesitating on using this as an example, but I, I just needed to give one flesh it out for you a little bit. The righteous delight in God's law because we know in our hearts, listen, that God's ways are best. That ultimately they're for our good, not for our damage. So I couldn't help but thinking of this. I'm going to try not to cry. But I've been married 30 years by the grace of God. I try not to cry. But the law, meaning the whole Old Testament scripture, even in the Torah, the first five books of Moses, tells us that marriage is between what? One man and one woman. Right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. And the Bible tells us it's a blessing to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's a blessing to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. And as a matter of fact, you know, even though maybe your husband's gained a bunch of weight, not as buff as he used to be, maybe he doesn't have the same amount of hairs on his head, maybe he's not as energetic and as uh, hip as he was when you were in your youth, but you're going to be thankful when, God forbid, you're laying on your bed because you're recovering from cancer and you have no hair left, but, but he's kissing you on your lips. He's rubbing your cheek. And he's saying, I love you more in this moment than I did the first day I asked you to marry me. That's when the law of the Lord is liberty. You look back and say, thank you, God, for giving me the right direction. So I could have been an idiot and followed my own sinful nature in the world and said, turn her in for another model, a younger one, more fun, won't nag you. Although, you know, that, <laughs> that's not true. But anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. The word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, is the last place men of the world would go to for counsel and guidance. Why would we listen to them? It should be the first place we go to. Because listen, world, people of the world, they want to live their lives as if God didn't exist. Why? Because God's will crosses their will. I've quoted it a number of times, and I've got to do it again. Mark Twain put it this way. It's not the things which I do not understand in the Bible which trouble, that trouble me, but the things that I do understand. Those are the things that trouble me. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem, isn't it? So one of the reasons we meet for worship together and we come to hear someone preach God's word, as outdated as that might seem, is... Because Dick Lucas puts it this way. This is why. We meet to hear the word of God. Now listen, I love the way he puts it. To get our minds informed. To clean out all the rubbish. To get light into the darkness. To get rid of our prejudices. To see through the fashionable panaceas of the day. We've got to do all these things. It's very difficult to steer your boat through the choppy sea of the world today. And unless you've got your mind informed by the word of God as a Christian, there's no hope. Got to have it. Indispensable. And I got to say, 30 or 40 minutes in the word on Sundays is just the beginning. It's not enough. Because all week you're getting bombarded by all that other junk. 
And then we complain, oh, the sermon's too long. Listen, for some people, that's all you're hearing all week. Don't tell me. I know your phone's dinging. Ding. Oh, I got another. Oh, I got another. You know, my wife put this thing on my phone. Tells you how much time you spend on your phone all day. I know, I'm thankful for that, too. I'm real thankful for that. But even on a good day, even when I was busy humming with the teams, it was a minimum of an hour a day. And that's when I wasn't really giving into it. That was nothing. It's time to get back to basics. It's time to stand with Jesus and his word again. And it's time to remember when Jesus first found us when we were lost in sin and when we were headed for hell, we sang these words with great exuberance. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, what? I still will follow. And then I love this one. This is convicting. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Now remember that illustration about the map. My brothers and sisters, at this point, you should have a big red thing that says, you are here. You should know where you be. And my second and last point, much shorter for time's sake, but we do have to quickly take a look at the two destinies. Because there's an end to all this. Notice the the blessed state of the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but drinks deeply from the counsel of God's word. It's found in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Look, we don't have time to get into this in all detail, but I'll tell you this much. It's the beautiful picture of spiritual stability and fruitfulness. It's a beautiful, strong tree that has its roots deeply planted right next to streams of living water. And those streams are the very word of God. And that means storms come and go. Winds blow and stop blowing, and that tree stands. And it doesn't only stand, but it bears such luscious fruit that it blesses others, doesn't it? It blesses others. And remember what Jesus said, you have not choose, chosen me, but I have chosen you to go and do what? Bear fruit. And then what? Fruit that lasts. And the issue is, you know, Pastor Pete often says this um, when we're questioned by the UMTs. They ask us all these deep questions because they get us back for asking them deep questions. And Pastor Pete always talks about he wants his life to be productive. He wants to make a difference. He wants to see that what he's doing matters. But you know what? We all really feel like that deep down, don't we? We all want to, who wants to say, you know, your life, as you're on your deathbed, your life meant nothing to no one. Or your life was no good to God because you were too busy, immersed in the world. No, I want to know that God used my life for some kind of good. And that this life is somewhat, this world is somewhat different because God made and redeemed me and put me in it. And the Bible says right here, when we walk with God in accordance with his word, by faith, we will be like this tree. But notice the contrast. Verse 4, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff. The wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now listen. 
The world says, how dare you decry people's choice to live a certain way as sinful or bad? That's so unloving, and it lacks compassion. But the word says the opposite. The word says this. How dare you condone people's choices to live in a way that contradicts God's word when you know it will eventually lead to the, their eternal ruin? You see the difference? How can I say to somebody, oh, good for you. God bless. Keep doing exactly what God says not to do. I'm with you. That's your right. If I love that person, I'm going to gently... And with great compassion and love say, no, I, I can't agree with that. I still love you. You're still my friend or my cousin or my brother, whatever it is. But no, I'm not with you because I need to tell you the end of that road, you're not going to like. Because that's the end of the wicked. We read it here. We read it everywhere in Scripture. Blown away like the chaff. In other words, weightless, useless husks that, you know, when you throw up the wheat, the heavy wheat comes back down, the husks get thrown up in the air, and the wind blows it away, never to be found ever again. That's the chaff. The old gospel song puts it this way. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Ain't that the truth? No one wants to die to self, die to sin, and die to the world. Which, by the way, it says Christians, we have died to those things through the cross of Christ. Now, people will say today, a couple more minutes and we're done, just hang with me. People will say today, stand in the assembly of the righteous, no thanks. I'm with Billy Joel. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. That is, until the day of judgment comes. Day of judgment comes, hey, uh, I see that congregation of the righteous. I like to be with them. It's too late. You made your choice. Now the day of reckoning is here. That's not the time. to. The time to prepare for that day of reckoning is before it comes. Not once it's there. It's for the righteous. They're blessed even here and now even though the world doesn't see it. And why? Here's the interesting thing. Because the very last verse, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Well, guess what it says in Hebrew? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And God's knowledge, it doesn't just mean God intellectually knows facts. We know he knows that. It means God intimately knows his people. He knows their way when they get up and when they sit down. He knows them. Look, because here's the point. What's the scariest verse in all the Bible? I'll tell you the scariest verse. Depart from me for I what? Never knew you. Isn't that the scariest verse? So then what's the most encouraging one? Come, you blessed by my Father. Before the foundation of the world, enter into your breath. I know you. Come on in. Of course. This is my, my, my son Santo. You don't want to walk up there, see your judge, and say, who you? Not good. So what do you, what do, you do if you find out that you veered off course? And, or maybe some of us might be listening to this, and we might say, you know, I don't know if I've ever actually been on the right road. Well, that's when we need to fall on our knees and go to the one who is the blessed man, the righteous one, 
who always did what was pleasing to his Father and still does to this day in heaven. And we need to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And find his grace and his mercy. And then out of new, regenerate, or refreshed hearts, we'll say, how I love thy law. I meditate on it day and night. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these strong, purifying, realigning words. And we thank you that we have so many of them in your holy word. 66 separate books in one volume of the Old and New Testament scriptures. And we thank you, Jesus, that we have a guide so we could know where we are so that we were not mixed up, not confused. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. And like King David, we say, seek your servant, for we have strayed like a lost sheep. Because we acknowledge we have all too often taken our cues, not from the word, but from the world. And God, for your glory and for the sake of the world who we want to see saved, the people in the world, enable us to do what the blessed man and woman does. Not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, but to delight in the law of the Lord, your law. We pray it in your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen.